Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest, Milana Weintrub, is recognizable to anyone who watches TV, owns a cell phone, or even watches TV on their cell phones. She's portrayed the friendly saleswoman Lily in TV ads for AT&T since 2013. Weintrub also has appeared in episodes of Silicon Valley, ER, Key and Peele, House of Lies, and the Yahoo series Other Space. You'll see her this month in episodes of the new Netflix series Love from Judd Apatow, Paul Rust, and Leslie Arfin. But Vine Troop's first TV credit came when she was only a toddler as a refugee with her parents fleeing the former Soviet Union. They were Uzbekistani Jews stuck in Italy before making it to America. So when Vine Troop took a recent trip to Greece, she couldn't help but be struck by the plight of Syrian refugees who were washing ashore on the island of Lesbos. She decided she can't do nothing. So she did something. She helped refugees firsthand, then she made a documentary about it, and a website where you can do something too. And Von Trube invited me over to talk about her project, her life, and career, and what comes next. So let's get to it! Uh, so, Milana Weintrub, yes. thank you so much for doing this. And by this, I don't mean Last Things First, my podcast. I mean your short documentary, Milana Can't Do Nothing. Thanks. Yeah, good. You're welcome. <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> well, a lot of people are probably familiar with you seeing you on television or on their mobile phones or wherever they watch video every day, but they probably weren't aware that your first TV credit was as a refugee. Yeah, that was my first TV credit. Isn't that crazy? Um, that, I think it's crazy that that, 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 <laughs> that footage exists. How long were you aware that that footage was out there? Um, I had like seen it when I was maybe like 10 on VHS mm -hmm. and then it just got buried away and I kind of forgot about it. And then when I was cutting together this documentary, my cousin was like, um, she's like, do you have any photos of you when you were a refugee or like when, when, when we were immigrating or anything? And, um, lights just went off. It was like, <gasps> I have better. <laughs> and like, I couldn't have imagined a... Like, I couldn't have planted a, a, a more um, appropriate representation of what my family was going through. Yeah, your, your family uh, immigrated from the former Soviet Union, Uzbekistan? Yeah. And you were two years? Two. two? Uh, and this was an exodus of Jews mm -hmm. from the Soviet Union. Wasn't quite like what's going on in Syria or the Middle East. Not at all. What do you do? You remember anything about that time? No, I don't. I was too little. I remember being new in America. Like I remember, I think a lot of people who are kids of immigrants have this kind of like outsider mentality of. I really wanted to be more American. Like I would watch uh, American TV shows and like wish that I, I wish that my parents could help me with my homework and. I wish that like I ate normal food and things like that. Mm. Um, but now looking back, I'm really happy that I got both cultures and that I like speak a language that I didn't ever have to study. But in the, in the clip, uh, your family was stuck in Italy yeah. at the time. Yeah. 
And a lot of Soviet Jews were going to Israel, but your family wanted to come straight to America, not to Israel? I think part of the immigrate, like part of the way, the route was to, was to plan to go to Israel, but my dad's sister lived out here and we were able to change our paperwork to come out here instead. Oh, nice. But some of my family did go to Israel. And what did your parents do for work? Growing up? Yeah. They did a bunch of different things, but when we moved here, um, my dad delivered donuts. Like he, uh, he had a, a route of like packaged donuts, you know, the ones I'm talking about, like at like uh, gas stations. Entenmann's and Kind alike. of, yeah, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom cleaned office buildings. Like at night. And did they come to America with a dream that their their young daughter, Milana, would uh, go into show business? Kind of. <laughs> They're like, the the entertainment opportunities in Uzbekistan are not I mean, Israel's happening. a step up, but it's not Hollywood. <laughs> no, I, well, my mom did throw me into acting at a really young age. When I was like five, I started going on auditions and things like that. Now, how aware were you of what was happening of, of like the audition game of being a child actor where you're like oh this is i just thought it was an after school activity mm-hmm. I, it wouldn't take away from anything like i loved i loved still i really love being on set and i like loved having a set teacher i loved getting days off from school and going to auditions was always really fun i had a great time and and i one of my best friends now is a girl that i met in the waiting room of an audition when I was like six. Oh wow! What was that audition? It was probably for a Barbie commercial. We were both like, <laughs> we were both very active in the Mattel scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> were there clicks? Mattel and Hasbro and <laughs> uh, no, you're, we're part of the- <laughs> you're a Polly Pocket girl. <laughs> Get out of here! You, you can't play Hangman with us. <laughs> you were a Barbie girl before that was a song. Yeah, I was. <laughs> It was. I remember wanting that to be my screen name, and now I'm so happy that it wasn't. Did you? Do you remember what your screen name was? What your first screen name was? No, I don't. You don't? No. Did you have AOL? Did you do? Instagram I had name? AOL chat, but it was my actual name. I didn't. Oh. I didn't go for a cool. <laughs> yeah. Lingo. <laughs> like Barbie girl. And then when I finally did <laughs> choose screen names. I think I went with the branding of the comics comic and just mm. chose the comics comic across yeah. all profiles, unless it was something too personal. No, that's like smart. a dating profile. I didn't want that to be. You didn't want your business on no. there. <laughs> yeah, I, I want people to love me for, late, for, for me. For you, not for the comics that you're comicking. Right. Right. I mean, that'd be unfair. It's just they don't used... know too much about you before they meet you. Hmm. You know, because then they would just read anything that you wrote and listen to everything you've recorded. You never get that. What? That people know more about <laughs> that, me before they people, meet me? People feel they know more about you. People, yeah, that's a, it's a really weird thing. Where people feel familiar with you even right. though they've never met you. It's kind of, it's kind of nice. Because um, <laughs> it's, like, it's lucky that I don't like play a dick anywhere, <laughs> you know, that I'm like kind of a pleasant character. Right. You're, you're a navigator on other space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, well, she's a total lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, very helpful customer service representative for the AT&T Corporation. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, have, when was the last time you checked your Reddit thread? Like, like searched myself on Reddit? Yeah. Um, I, I do it all the time. 
this morning i think right before right before mm-hmm. i got in the shower no i don't know um i'm on reddit pretty regularly but i don't search myself because i don't need that kind of information i once maybe like a year ago looked myself up on 4chan Ooh. that was terrible why did you do that i don't know i needed a little bit of self-loathing to help me get to the gym or something oh. <laughs> it was just it's just so mean but reddit is a wonderful community except for th- they get gross sometimes they get gross but it's a it's a minority yeah i noticed uh, this morning before i came over here there is a specific there's a subreddit that's just for you mm-hmm. but in there's a disclaimer that says non-offensive please yeah <laughs> well because there is also and this was shared with me by my <laughs> lovely caring friends that uh there is a subreddit where you can like photoshop things oh, onto no. actresses faces oh, do you know about no. this one and so there's like i'm, I'm vaguely aware of, of the concept yeah i mean i think you can imagine but it's very crude and gross and um a visual that only one special person should get to see <laughs> now when you were a f- six-year-old uh meeting your bff at barbie auditions mm-hmm. was this what you imagined your adulthood would be like no, I don't really think I gave it that much thought. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. Oh. I always wanted to be a vet. There's still time. Yeah, I know. It's not out of the question, actually. I do think that if, like, when I don't want to do this anymore, I don't think I want to do, I don't know if I want to do this forever. Um, but I do think about going back to school and learning something that's would make me, f- that fulfill me in some other way. But acting kind of took over and became the thing? Um, well, I'm dyslexic and that made learning really hard and I never got any kind of treatment for it growing up. Um, so I went into like reading programs, but they never diagnosed me or anything until I was like in college. So I, um, I never was good at science. I think if I had somebody to really explain things to me, mm-hmm. I would love science because right now when I can get to it, I love it. And, um, so I just thought that I wasn't a good student and that I was kind of dumb and I was maybe too dumb to be a doctor. Okay. So I <laughs> so I dropped out of high school and I went to community college and I started studying graphic design because you don't need to read that much for that. And I loved it. I did that for a couple years and then I transferred to um, school in San Diego just because it was the best school I got into. And it's a great school, um, but... I didn't really have any interest in going there. I just thought it would make my immigrant parents happy. And it was a necessity. You know, like not going to college was an option. I could drop out, but with the promise that I would eventually go to college. Did it make a difference uh, with your parents or with your own psyche that you were still getting acting jobs throughout your childhood and teen years? Did it make a difference to... Your pa- uh, like your parents going, oh, well, she's on TV. She's successful. Yeah, I think... Um, Maybe she doesn't need to go to college. Or no, that was never an option to not go to college because okay. I think they believed that it was fleeting. I mean, even now, they're like, save your money. <laughs> this isn't going to last very long. They'll catch on quick. <laughs> so I I always um, uh, had a backup plan. Okay. But, you know, when I was in college, I went to school with a really great theater program, and that's how I got back into acting. Okay. Um, and it was just out of boredom and a little bit of depression and being in a new place that I decided to figure out a way to make cool friends. And I just did it for the company. 
and then I got really, really roped back into it. And when I moved back to Los Angeles after school, I I didn't know what I wanted to do. And in like a fit, like in a in a panic of like applying for jobs and not getting them. I was crying and like yelling at my mom. I was like, I'm only happy when I'm writing, acting, or directing. And then I was like, oh, oh, okay. I guess I'll get headshots then. <laughs> I guess step one. That was step one for you was headshots? Yeah. What was step two? Um, doing like acting workshops, like agent workshops, trying to get representation going on, like submitting myself for projects online and things like that, just trying to build a reel. When did you decide to get into the comedy world? Um, I, my friend was visiting from New York, actually, and he was so shocked that I'd always been silly. And so uh, he was just really surprised. He and I always did bits, and he did improv at UCB in New York. And when he was in town, he was so shocked that I'd never been to UCB. And he took me to see a show, and Brian Gallivan was performing. Do you know him? Yeah, he... Uh he created a show called the McCarthys, I believe. Oh, I don't know that. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know about that. But um, so he was performing, and mm-hmm. um, it was just the first time that I saw improv be really good. Like, felt like magic. Felt like rabbits were being pulled out of hats. And I was like, I want to learn how to do this. And um, I. Brian even, like, I remember his joke was, or, like, his line, the, the suggestion was Hollywood Bowl, and he started the scene with, I'm eating breakfast out of my Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> like, it was just a scene about a guy who had a bowl from every city. Right. And it was so funny. Uh, I It was the first time it felt, like, tangible and fun, improv, and then I started taking classes at UCB. What do you remember about your first class at UCB? Um, I remember that Hal Rudnick was my teacher, and... Um, that it was about being free. It was a practice in being free. Did you feel free at the time? Um, yeah, because I didn't have anything to lose. I felt, I feel like I have, um, in, in my like creativity, actually, I don't feel as free as I did then. Or like, you know, a couple years after doing UCB, I or maybe around the time that I was ending, actually, I started a YouTube channel, and I, I was just like, well, some people will like it, some people won't, but at least we'll make content, at least we'll have something to show people to say that we can act. And even then, that, that channel existed for two years, and by the end of the, the two years, I was really scrutinizing my work heavily because I was worried about pleasing an imaginary crowd. And when I didn't have that, when it was just about like, does this feel weird and fun? Cool, let's do it. <laughs> that first YouTube channel, was that the talk show? Yeah, Live Prude Girls. And who do, who do you do that with? My friend Stevie Nelson. Is that the same friend from the Barbie commercials or Mm-mm. a different friend? How did you meet Stevie? Uh, Stevie and I met in an audition. Okay. We uh, For a commercial, <laughs> it was both of our first auditions with like a, our, new, our first commercial agent in oh. town. I mean, as an adult, I had like a commercial agent when I was a kid, but they were far out of business. And we had both just finished UCB. And so when we got paired together, 
it was we had a shorthand you know because we're like oh you're a weirdo who does improv me too like i can stick my butt in your face and you'll yes and that great <laughs> and um <laughs> so that's what we did we like had a lot of we, we really got along at the audition and then we booked it together and all day on set we were playing these characters and doing bits and one of the bits that we did became the talk show do you feel that it's unusual that your best friends came out of competing for auditions? I, I don't um, think of it as competing. I know that it's like that's such like a Miss America like answer. But I just I think it's because na even more now that I have been behind the scenes on some of casting mm -hmm. projects and know how what the decision making is like. It's not always personal it's just about like who fits a certain mold and you can't fit all of them and I am um, I think that there's enough to go around but so many people whether they're in the business or they're outside of business they they get a picture in their head of audition rooms and all the actors and actresses are outside in the hallway like yeah. sizing each other up going ugh no it's I actually these people. it's totally not like that at all I don't feel that way and I, I don't feel that from other actors. I actually feel like most people are really friendly and um, are happy to talk or compliment each other. You know, like I, I, don't, I don't feel any of that competition or awkwardness. But maybe that's just where I am right now because I feel like, like, a, like not super uh, attached or like, I don't feel like I need this job. I feel like it's still very fun. But I think if you lose some of the fun, that's when you get into the fear of the work, which is like, if I don't get this, then, you know, when you put that kind of pressure on it, that'll make you see things in a darker light. Right. The desperation leads to bitterness. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it could also lead to... Um, what's the expression? Desperation is the mother of invention. Mm. You could just like try to figure something else out instead of <laughs> rolling around in your old self-loathing and the hatred of other people and sizing people up and all that stuff because it really it doesn't actually help or get you anywhere I think like the comparing yourself and wishing that you were like somebody else I think that the people that I know that are so talented and cool and like the people I want to be like those people are the people that are uniquely themselves like Maria Bamford. We yeah. were talking about her before we started recording. I saw her this weekend, and she's so herself. There's n she's not like anyone else, and no one is like her. And Some people try to be like her, but... It's true. I, I want to be like her. <laughs> in that, in, like, I want to be so much myself. I want to be so fearlessly the, the weirdo that I innately am, you know? So what was your headspace like when you went in for that first audition for AT&T? I had no idea. It was just another commercial audition. Just one of many. And when they brought me back like a third time to do chemistry reads, I was so annoyed. <laughs> I think it was like they brought me back maybe three or four times. And I was just like, ugh, just like give me the job or not. Like don't make me drive out to Santa Monica again. And um, I remember even telling my agent, I was like, can they, if they give me the job, I'll drive out to read with other people. <laughs> but <laughs> I had, but because I had done, you know, I do commercial, I, at that time I'd been doing a couple commercials a year and I, sometimes they run, sometimes they don't. 
And I was like, I don't want to drive out there for a job that I might not get for a project that may not run. But, you know, of course I did. And it was, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So you weren't anywhere near desperate at that part. Oh, I was so desperate. I was actually like really, really, really poor. And, um, I had just, um, my YouTube channel, we had sold it as a TV show to MTV and they had just passed on it. So, um, and I was like really willing to like not only give away my baby that I had been like working on this YouTube channel for two years, um, to be like, here, take it, rape it, do what you want with it. (laughs) Like, not only was I doing that to this, you know, letting this network take over, but also I was like, do it because it's like, I need the money. Like, do it because I've never seen this uh, amount of money in a check before and fine, you know? And then they, and then they didn't accept it still, Mm -hmm. you know? So. Were you living here at the time or somewhere else? uh, You mean in LA? I mean, where we're talking, yeah. Oh, no, I just moved here this month. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what was your living situation like? Um, I was living with a boyfriend in West Hollywood. Yeah. And you desperately wanted this web series to become an MTV series to um, the point I, where you were willing to sell out. And... Yeah, I mean, it was really hard to sell out. <laughs> yeah, but I was just so... I was so... Um, poor and Mm. I had been working on this thing for so long that I wanted it to pay off in some way and um and it was actually like this crazy time where um I didn't know that it wasn't getting picked up yet I so it was like on a Thursday I went for a I booked the first AT&T commercial and then on Friday I got the call that MTV passed and we kind of knew that they would and and also I tried to like I, th- I think part of the reason they passed, there must have been many reasons, but part of it was like, hey, I want to maintain some kind of creative control over this. And um, they don't really have any interest in letting artists do that. Oh. I, I, from from my experience, they didn't have an interest in letting me ha- have a creative say. So, um, so the, they passed. And then like 20 minutes later, I got a call saying that I booked Silicon Valley and I would be working for two weeks, which was a, a really like a, a, it was like a lot of money for me at the time. And um, so, so at the time, was Silicon Valley a bigger deal Silic- than AT and T? Even though Silicon Valley was just one episode, right? Yeah, Silicon Valley hadn't aired yet, so I didn't know what it was going to be. But I knew that it was going to be two weeks of work, and I was really grateful for the work. And I was writing a pilot at the time. Like I had always been trying to do something, so. Um, yeah, like the uh, the commercial was great because I knew that at the very least I would get a day rate. Like I was just trying to survive, you know, like and I was writing the pilot with with um, one of my good friends, too, and trying to be creative and make stuff because desperation was forcing me to also do that. Uh, but also I was like f- figuring out how to stay afloat. What was that pilot you were working on? Um, we never, we never finished shooting it. We started shooting it and then we were like, this is, maybe this is really bad. (laughs) Maybe this is too bad. Maybe we rushed into this. Maybe we should revisit this another time. And then we never really did. But, um, it was a good learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was the the main takeaway that you took from that? Um, I think it was, uh, (laughs) pre-production. 
I think it was like really planning shot lists and uh, having enough crew and having enough help because my my YouTube series was so low budget. I mean, it was free essentially to right. shoot and our friends would like hold five Ds. So, so it was almost as much money as I'm putting into this right now. My YouTube show? Yeah. It was about the same setup. <laughs> it was just asking for more favors. <laughs> but um, but like shooting a pilot and wanting it to look good and have production right. value is a totally different thing that I was not prepared to take on. And the AT&T campaign. Yeah. Initially, and I remember this, that you knew Beck Bennett. Yeah. Who had been the spokesperson immediately before you. Yeah, how do you know that? You interviewed him oh, on yeah, your website. Oh, yeah, on my talk show. Yeah, I, <laughs> on knew, your talk show. I knew Beck even before that. Well, I met... The Good Neighbor guys are kind of the reason I started making YouTube videos. They're one of the, the few stimuluses that made that happen, but I had met them socially, mm. and then they asked me to be in one of their videos. And there, I remember being like, I could do... I could kind of do this. And like I learned about all of the opportunities they were having to have acting work and I was like maybe if I start making videos I can get more acting work and um that was it well it's making your own reel yeah isn't it? that's totally what it was and it was playing a character that I love um that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to play or you know it gave me some just um a way to tell people that like hey look I could do this wait what was that character I don't remember that in video. in the talk show no, in the Good Neighbor video that you did. Oh, in the Good Neighbor video, that wasn't a real character. Oh. That was just like a tiny, okay. a tiny moment. But I, I, I did get to do some other stuff with them that was just fun. But I mean, in my talk show, I got to create a character that I might have not been cast as before. Uh-huh. You know. And did Beck give you any kind of advice in terms of doing the the commercials? No. <laughs> no, he didn't. I, I. Did you ask him? Um. Yeah, we talked once. Mm-hmm. And um. We just like, we were both just like, isn't this great? Isn't this crazy? <laughs> that we both did this thing. Yeah. And, and Beck and I actually also both worked at the same restaurant. He worked at a restaurant before I did. <laughs> okay. So he made YouTube videos, then I made YouTube videos, and he worked at this restaurant, and then I worked at this restaurant, and then... Did anyone else at the restaurant make YouTube videos? And then, <laughs> and then become national a spokesperson? Ad, <laughs> national ad campaigns? <laughs> Was it one of those restaurants where everybody is... Is an actor? An actor? Um, I don't think so. No, some most of the people still work there. It was a French restaurant, so a lot of them are just like Frenchmen that still work there. <laughs> oh. But were they very accommodating to the Hollywood lifestyle of, I've got to go on an audition? So no, I they were not. Oh. No, they were not great at it. <laughs> That's actually, I ended up, I didn't work there for very long because I couldn't go on auditions. Was that your last quote unquote day job or did you have others? No, I also, I worked at a smoothie shop before that restaurant job and afterwards. And, um, and I was a nanny for a little bit after that too. So you were a nanny when the AT&T thing became a Um, long running? I think it was, no, it was before that. Oh, I was just surviving the AT&T thing uh, before the AT&T thing. I was just surviving on like a couple commercials a year. Yeah. But you know, I, w- when like money would get really, really low, I, I would kind of have faith that something would happen. I would be like, okay, that, well, that's okay. Because I, I feel like, I feel like I'll be taken care of. It's like a, a blind faith. And I don't know where that comes from because I, I didn't ever like have that growing up, but I just felt like I know that I'll be okay. So if, when I get into the double digits, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to book something or get an opportunity to do something. I just believed that. And even if that opportunity was like a job on from Craigslist or something, <laughs> like I was kind of excited about an experience. So where do you think that that faith came from to be able to quit all the other side hustles and go, it's going to be okay. Where did, if that wasn't present with you when you were growing up, where did that come from? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I just, I, um, I felt like I, I felt like if other people could do it, I could do it. <laughs> well, I guess this leads us back to present day then. Yeah. I met you in New York City a few months ago and you had just gotten back from Greece. It was like, it was a couple of weeks after I had gotten back. Yeah. When you left for that trip to Greece did you imagine that 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 would change your headspace no <laughs> what happened on the trip to to shift your thinking um you know before I went this is something I can only say on this interview because it's like it's so like insidery st stupid stuff but like <laughs> I went to an audition it, I use that as a testimonial yeah. <laughs> the comics comic oh, presents last thing first you're home for insidery stupid stuff <laughs> well it's just like I'm, t I'm telling a story about like an audition I went to this audition the day before I was gonna fly out or maybe it was like two days before and I told them it was like the director was in the room and I told them that I was going to go to Greece and oh the director was Neil Brennan oh, okay and uh that is insidery, stupid stuff. Yeah, right. So, and the producer goes, ooh, are you sure you want to go to Greece with all of those refugees everywhere? And Neil Brennan goes, you mean the people that are fleeing from war? You mean those poor people? And the producer kind of like was like, well, okay, well, just be careful. Mm -hmm. And I felt so ignorant because I couldn't say anything to the producer because I didn't know. I didn't know what the war was about in Syria. I didn't know why they were going to Greece. Um, I didn't even really, to be totally frank, I really didn't even have an idea of like how close Greece was to Syria or Turkey or like I, I, the, the map wasn't something that I had ever really thought about <laughs> because I went to school in America, you know, like. So you picked Greece as a as a just vacation. As a vacation. Yeah, I had a friend who like family had a home there and so I went there for a couple of days and um my dad lives in Moscow. Oh. Yeah, so he met me in Greece because <laughs> Moscow's not that fun. <laughs> and we we met there to just have like I a heard beach their vacation. their open mic scene is <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> Actually, they don't have open mics. Their mics are closed. Yeah, and Putin, controlled. Yeah, Putin has locked down on the mics. <laughs> Watched, yeah. Um, I yeah. So we went there just as vacation, and then I started really getting a sense of the news, and uh, the like. You would just watch the internet, the international channels, and you have a sense of what the world is like. But here, you don't really get that. I mean, I don't watch TV that much, but like stuff about the refugee situation wasn't coming up in my world it wasn't like in my feed like other comics aren't tweeting about it you right. know um so i i just didn't i didn't know until i got there and then once i was there it i tried to figure out ways to help um did connecting with your dad 
first is part of that trip, like, um, bring back the memories of your own family? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, actually, I, I guess the answer is no, but because the, I, I say it's interesting because, um, my dad and a lot of like conservative people are not on board with the refugees. No, it's become an issue with in the presidential campaign. Absolutely. It's actually become not enough of an issue in the presidential campaign, I think. And um, like it's, it's not brought up in debates. It's like it's actually not for the Democrats, at least, you know, because the Republicans love to use it as a as a fear tactic. But um, but my dad lives in Moscow where he gets the Russian news, which is like controlled. And it's almost all of it is like Putin based propaganda. Mm -hmm. And so he has a certain sense of what the refugee situation is. And to him, it's like unsafe and you don't go. And those, you know, and those people, it's those people. So even though he, he's one of those a people. refugee and you, you yeah. were a refugee. But I think that's true. For that's how you're so here many, in America is totally as a refugee. Yep. It's really very sad actually. That, that you can have that disconnect. But I think that's true for a lot of people in Europe, too, that are, like, saying that we want to get these Syrians out of our country. Right. But, like, a lot of them are from somewhere else. A lot of people. Everyone was at some point, you know? And um, especially with, like, the relocation after wars and things like that, like it's it's crazy um, how quickly people disconnect. Right. I mean, even my family, I guess was refugees from Ireland. Really? The potato famine, and they yeah. had to leave. I mean, it's not quite, like, political. Mm -hmm. Although, I guess the potato famine was political on some level, but... Well, yeah, they were trying people, to survive. Right. Yeah. So... So that that's that. So, um, n no, if anything, it was, like, surprising that I... I if anything, I actually... My, da my dad didn't know that I went to Greece mm -hmm. until like the day before I released the documentary. I mean, that I went to Lesbos, oh, the island. Okay. I met, sorry, I hung he out with He thought you just went and saw the Acropolis and... Yeah, I told him that I was going to stay there because I did meet in, in Athens, which was like the last stop on our island hopping adventure. Mm -hmm. I, I met some like journalists who were working on the refugee crisis because they were some of the few people that spoke English. I would go to these like volunteer meetings in Athens trying to find out ways that I could help. And so I met these people there and I told my dad, I was like, hey, I met these like journalists. So I'm going to stay here and learn how to make a documentary. That's what I said. And it's not 100% untrue because I did learn how to make a documentary, but I learned by making one. <laughs> you know, I didn't like, he thought I was just going to stay in Athens and shadow some filmmakers. Right. And he was even like, you live in Los Angeles. Like, why are you, <laughs> why right. do you want to learn how to make a film in right. Greece? <laughs> There's plenty of people here who will mm -hmm. have projects. Totally. I'm sure there's one around the corner right now. I'm sure. It's hoping this rain will stop so they can <laughs> start shooting again. There's, I'm sure there's a documentarian living under my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a separate Reddit <laughs> subthread. Um... So what equipment did you have with you? Just your phone or? Yeah, just my phone, which has a really good camera. And if you plug in your headphones, the microphone works better. Yeah, I noticed you were wearing headphones for the opening. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So 
when you came back from Greece, did you know what the documentary was? No. Um, when I when I decided to stay and the night before I flew out to Lesbos, so my dad had left and I was in Athens alone and um, I called my roommate back home and I was telling him that I decided to stay and I'm going to go see what's happening in Lesbos because I was also just like, I wanted to like cure my own ignorance. I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to like just be a smarter worldlier more well-rounded more of a global citizen and um so I called him and I was telling him this and he was like are you journaling about this like this is a really important time in your life are you like you should be remembering this and um he's like he told me that he's been doing these video journals on his laptop where he'll just like talk to his future self okay and I was like yeah I could do like video journals that would be fun and so that's how it started actually is me just talking to myself walking around Athens and then um the next day I was editing that footage like while I was waiting for the plane at the airport I was editing that footage on my phone and I was like maybe this could be just a way to educate people back home about what's happening there because a lot of the footage in my documentary is stuff that you don't see on the news readily um and a lot of it is stuff that um humanizes a group of people that are often grouped together in some kind of um you know a group of other yeah sure like not not people yeah you've got people in the car in the back seat where it's like a three generations and the little boy thinks he sees a swimming pool and yeah and then also you know there's a poignant part where you're realizing that the reception they're getting in lesbos is far better than everything that's coming after that potentially yeah i mean i think the situation has gotten better so i shot that in september at the end of september and um i think it has gotten a little better on lesbos because more NGOs have gotten involved since then. Um, but in terms of like the global climate, I don't know if it's that much better. And was Can't Do Nothing, was that already a pre-existing website? or No, I just made it. Did you have to look at different options to make sure what was available? Or um, I was just thinking was of what enough? to call it. And um, Can't Do Nothing is something I say in the, in the documentary organically, mm -hmm. where I say I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do nothing. So I just took it from there. But that's really, it just came out. That's how I felt. I was like, I really, like, I'll go there. I'll feel better knowing that I went there than if I just do nothing. I'll f I remember being like, I'm going to feel guilty and regretful if I just go back home, knowing that I was so close and that maybe I could have learned something and helped somebody. If I don't do that, I, um, I'll, I'll feel sad. So I'm just going to go and not do nothing. So, um, but I'm glad you think it's catchy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just available. Can't do nothing. Okay. Work. And yeah. that's, uh, that's a more recent credit than Yahoo's other space. Or yeah. It's one of the more recent <laughs> Or either, or even your AT&T campaign. Yeah. Um, and you, you told me you, I know you were doing stand-up, but you're not doing stand-up anymore. What's going um, on? I was doing st I, I was doing stand up and like writing jokes and I just I didn't find myself that funny. Mm -hmm. I was 
doing like fine. I wasn't like, I wasn't bombing. I mean, I had a couple times here and there, but I was doing all right. I just wasn't excited by my own content um, because it was just about like single life, right? And I didn't feel like I had a perspective that was entirely unique. And people were coming to see my shows because they were fans of things that I had done and not because I was good. That's what I think. That was like, that's my own voice Mm -hmm. saying that. Um, And so I felt like, so I stopped, I I started like keeping it, keeping the shows to myself. Like when I would book a show, I wouldn't tell people because I didn't want, I just wanted opportunities to get better without, an, like an audience that was there to support me. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. Uh, like I wasn't good enough even, even to, though, to, to have the audience. Even though in the comedy business, there are plenty of comedy clubs across the country who would gladly book you yeah. based on your credits. Yeah. Knowing that you can draw a crowd. Yeah, but I, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel like I deserved that crowd. And I feel like I needed honest feedback. Um, and so I was doing it kind of quietly for a while, but I was also, I just wasn't really digging my own content because I, I just wasn't. And then I started, um, I did this one show in here hosted by this comic named Bill Dixon. Mm-hmm. It was like a midnight show. Uh, it's called the Midnight Society. Okay. And, um, he called me one day and he's like, Hey, do you want to do a show next week? It's kind of like experimental. Like some people sing songs, some people do magic, like you can kind of do whatever you want. And I was like, can I tell jokes as my dad? And uh, and he was like, yes, definitely you can do that. <laughs> so I, my dad has a joke on every topic. Literally, you can say like, he'll be like, give me a topic. Uh, and I'll be like, pigeons. And he'll be like, okay, pigeon and turkey, walking into a bar. <laughs> like that's, he, he actually has mm-hmm. like this huge database. Um, so I dressed up like him and I told his jokes and it was the best set I've ever had. Like I, I'd, I've never been more successful on stage. Mm. And so I started performing as him and um, that was really fun. Um, and that was like a fun bit, but I, like, I didn't feel like I could do that for very much longer. No, you didn't want to turn that into a web series or a uh, sitcom pitch? Maybe. Maybe maybe one day, but it, I haven't, and right. um, and I don't feel now that you know, the pull. Now that you know how to make documentaries, yeah. Well, also you could tell the documentary of your father with you playing your father. <laughs> yeah, that's how a documentary works. Oh. Someone plays the person <laughs> that you're documenting mm, in the reenactments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll reenact it. I still have much to learn. You know, it's funny. One time I did a show. And um, somebody came out because they heard me on a podcast. They're like, hey, I heard, about, I, heard, I heard you talk on this podcast. And so I came out and I had been doing my dad that night. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it was a really great set as your dad. And I was like, thanks. I feel like, like, doing, like doing stand-up as my dad because he lives so far away and I don't see him very often. It makes me feel closer to him. And I could see the guy's eyes just kind of like glaze over and be like, okay, well, all right. he just wasn't available for any kind of like emotional real real conversation (laughs) which is totally fine i was that was like he wasn't expecting a real answer (laughs) yeah yeah and and i shouldn't have assumed that he was (laughs) what's the i ask all of my guests this what's the last kind of great advice 
that you've received or heard or read mm. that's kind of keeping the faith for you as you figure out what comes next? Um, maybe um, put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. Mm. You know, like um, I'm, I feel like um, I'm really trying to do a, a lot right now to, to help a, a million people on the other side of the world. And um, it just takes a lot out of you. <laughs> so I'm trying to like get enough sleep and exercise and um, be, be good to my body and my mind. Yeah, you were telling me right before I turned the equipment on about how you feel like rest is even more important than making things. Oh, yeah. Well, I was telling you about this really cool poet named um, Buddy Wakefield. And he had, I, I love his poetry so much. But he talks about how, um, you know, our, our teachers and our mentors are always talking about passion. Like, we have to have passion because then we make more things. And what we got to be doing as artists is constantly making things. And, and his point is like, actually, I think what we need more of is rest. And I'm there now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, for sure. I could use a little bit of rest. <laughs> I'm like, a, I, I uh, like, I think because you were, you actually brought this up because you live in New York and you were saying that you're constantly hustling right. and that there's always somebody who's putting out more stuff and you need to be a part of that zeitgeist. It's the city that never sleeps. Yeah. And too many people take that literally to their own. <laughs> selves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they have to keep pounding the pavement and yeah. pushing on do you feel that at times yeah i i feel that too at times even this even this uh working vacation to california i would i would wake up at seven and go wait i'm in california in january i should be resting and being in the sun and not trying to see how many podcast interviews I can line up and which TV tapings to go to and which people are available and yeah. which shows in which clubs I need to be at. I know, but we're so worried that like maybe we won't have this opportunity later. I think that's what it is for me at least. I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta take all the work while it's coming because who knows when it's gonna stop coming. Yeah, you gotta pack it all in. Yeah, but guess like when it stops I, I would like to get to a place where I'm like well when the work stops coming I'll find something else to do <laughs> uh, I'll become a vet finally <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's no age limit on the vets yeah you can do that at any they time they don't look at your headshots and <laughs> um, if somebody comes up to you who's outside of the business wants to get involved mm -hmm in show business um, and they didn't start as a child yeah what's the first thing you tell them um i'd say like start making your own content if that's what you really if we, what you really really want is to do this then show people that you can because that's, that's your resume like you can you can do a million plays which is good good like have your creative outlet and practice your craft and if you enjoy it all the better but i think write your own script or shoot your own web series or even like make your own vine you know 
just like do just do it well milana i thank you so much for taking time out of a lazy rainy sunday when you could have so easily just rested yeah but I'll, you didn't I'll rest after this but you didn't do nothing <laughs> you, yeah <laughs> you said yes to me and i'm very grateful i am very grateful that you invited me thanks <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.